the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The Nick D Podcast, and I am your host, Nick DeGilio. Thank you for checking us out, subscribing, and listening, and downloading, and spreading the word. We want you to do that. This is the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the best podcast network in the world, uh, with tons of varied and entertaining and funny and informative and really cool podcasts that you should check out. Radiomisfits.com. Rate and review us on every single platform. Start that conversation at the platforms and here at Radiomisfits.com. Uh, and yeah, I have a second podcast here at the Radio Misfits as well. It's all about Saturday Night Live. It's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. It's all about SNL. If you're a fan of SNL, you should subscribe. Even if you're not a fan of SNL, you'll learn something. It's very entertaining. It's really cool. It is all about the best sketch comedy show ever. Tons of great stuff on that podcast. I'm so happy and proud of it, and I hope you can check it out. You want to be a part of this podcast? Leave us a voicemail. Our voicemail message system is open 24-7, and we encourage you anytime, anywhere, anyplace, anytime, call us. Leave us a voicemail message with a compliment or a, or a concern or a question or a suggestion or a request for a megaphone message. Uh, the voicemail message 24-7-773-417-6948. Or you can drop us an email anytime uh, and uh, email anytime. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. We listen to every voicemail. We read every email. Many of them we include and share on the podcast. So if you want to be a part of the podcast, make suggestions, make those megaphone magic megaphone requests, which we have one coming up later on in this episode. Please do that. Voicemail 773-417-6948. Email NickDPodcast at gmail.com. Want to be a sponsor? Want to advertise with us? We are a very popular podcast here. We'll reach a lot of people. You got a product. You want to sell it. You want to advertise with us. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Drop us a line. We'll let you know what's going on with that. So coming up on this episode 132 on this Friday, it is that time. Every other week we talk with Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, two of my film critic buddies from the Chicago Film Critics Association and more, to talk about the new movies and some really cool stuff that's happening elsewhere, especially at the Music Box Theater. So they will be joining us. And of course, Esmeralda Leon will join us for our um, uh, episode visit. And uh, we've got a magic megaphone message that we're going to be doing. We've got, I think we're almost out of Mexican candy. We're going to find some other weird stuff to taste test. And we are, I promise, we are going to get to the solutions to problems that are worse than the problems in the first place. So bad solutions to problems that are worse. Make it, make, hey, how do you make things worse? Do this stuff. So we'll talk about that and have some fun with that. Um, and, as, and as always, we encourage you to give us feedback and be a part of it. Uh, Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sounds and the themes and the weirdness, and he is awesome. And Esmeralda Leon will be joining me as well here on the Nick D Podcast. Also, we do monthly live shows at Zany's Comedy Club in Rosemont, and these are a blast. And, you know, we have regular crowds who come out. We want you to come out. Everybody who's listening right now needs to come out the next time we do this. It's going to be in May. It'll be on Tuesday, May 16th. It's always on a Tuesday, and it's always at the great comedy club Zanies in Rosemont, Illinois. Very easy to get to. 
parking is free. It is so it's there's restaurants and bars all around so you can grab dinner and do make a whole night of it. Tuesday, May 16th. Now, Esmeralda will be out of town. She will be in Vegas. Vegas, baby, spending some money and having some fun. So sitting in uh, as my co-host will be the incredible, the awesome, the lovely Amy Guth, um, who is a regular guest on this podcast, who has her own podcast, is an incredible writer, works in movies, screenwriter, used to work at the Trib, used to work at the worst radio station in the world. It would be WGN. And uh, we are buddies, and she's going to sit in. Uh, for Esmeralda while Esmeralda's out of town. And Amy Guth uh, sat in with us at one show, and it was fantastic. She's amazing. And so me, Amy Guth, on stage, sharing stories, telling, you know, telling stories and talking with you. It's interactive. You'll win prizes uh, if you show up. We've got uh, uh, trivia questions that we're going to be doing and fun giveaways. It's very, very funny. It's hilarious. And our special guest is the incredibly funny stand-up comedian Jim Flanagan. He's unbelievable. He co-hosts the podcast with the great comedian Pat McGann. Uh, and Jim is going to be our guest. He's kind enough to uh, come up there, and we're going to talk comedy, and he's going to be funny. So the great comedian Jim Flanagan, me, Amy Guth, on stage, you in the audience, my dad coming up to tell a joke at the end of the show, and in general, just a great time with a live podcast recording. Be there for that. These are monthly events, and they've turned out to be just amazing, and we're having a great time doing it. And I want to thank Zanies at Rosemont for, for, all the, for being so nice to us and let us have this home once a month. And we want to pack the place, so get your tickets now. Zanies.rosemont.com. Get those tickets now. It's Tuesday, May 16th. Me, Amy Guth, Jim Flanagan, Zanies and Rosemont. Prizes to give away. Lots of comedy. You'll be a part of a podcast recording. It's going to be amazing and awesome, as it always is. Let's pack the place. Get your friends, get your enemies, get your mom, get your uncle, get some jag off that you never met before and bring them all. Let's pack that place and have a great time. So once again, Tuesday, May 16th, Zanies in Rosemont. Uh, Rosemont.zanies.com. Tickets are on sale now, so get them now. Reserve your seats now. Uh, 847-813-0484 is the box office number, 847-813-0484. Or just go to rosemont.zanies.com. Look for the Nick D Podcast live and get your tickets now for Tuesday, May 16th. Let's pack the place. Let's have a good time. It is uh, a once-a-month thing, and we're having a blast doing it. So we'll be back on May 16th at Zanies and Rosemont. So get your tickets now. All right. Uh, and you know who uh, who's going to be there? She won't be there, but I'm just I'm saying she'll be on the back. Porch. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. She can't make it. She's got to keep things going on the back. Hi, porch I'm here, Carrie so. Russell, anyway. and I love Nick's show. But Carrie Russell encourages you to get your tickets to Zanies and Rosemont for May 16th right now. Rosemont.zanies.com. It's going to be a great night. All right, Eric, Steve, movies, yeah. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jaggle. That music means it's time to review some movies. We do that every other week here on the Nick D Podcast. Uh, my guests are my old friends, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, uh, members of the Chicago, uh, Chicago Critics, wait a minute, Chicago Film Critics Association. I'm getting it all fucked up and confused <laughs> with the name of the goddamn, f- the name of the festival that you guys uh, put up there, the Chicago Critics Film Festival. 
That's the name of it. Uh-huh. When does that That's start good. again? It's in May, right? Tickets are on sale. May 5th. You can buy your pass. Yep. May 5th. You can buy your passes now. Um, May 5th through? The 11th. The 11th. May 5th and through the, the 11th. Full... Music Box Theater. Yeah, the full lineup will be announced this upcoming Monday. All right. So Monday, you can check it out, and uh, you can get your passes already. Uh, that's the way to go. It's the best way to go, the most economical and best way, most thorough way. Go to themusicboxtheater.com. You'll be hearing a lot about themusicboxtheater.com in this segment uh, because uh, starting uh, – well, that would be started yesterday. Uh, technically, it started yesterday, but uh, there is a fest that they are calling Cracker Jack Compass, the works of Robert Zemeckis, and we will talk about that because uh, – uh, I think as, you know, I think, uh, as far as American filmmakers go, there aren't too many, if any, that are better than Robert Zemeckis. So, uh, we'll talk about that in this great fest that they're doing over at the music box. Uh, but Eric Childress, uh, tell us about where people can hear you and read you and see you and all that stuff. Yes. Over at the now play network, I have a couple of podcasts that I host just like you, Nick, um, just a pair of podcasts, different network, obviously, right. uh, but the movie madness, the movie madness podcast, uh, which we do, uh, regular, uh, theatrical and, uh, Blu-ray reviews. Uh, Steve Procopi is a regular weekly guest on that. Uh, and then the friendship dilemma that I co-host with Morgan Geyer, where we talk about movies, uh, dealing with male and female friendships and how they do it right or do it very wrong. Okay. So make sure you check out all of that stuff. Uh, don't you do a box office report too, Eric? Um, I do a box office report for Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's usually now every Monday afternoon. Sometimes when there's a Super Mario Brothers in theaters, we do <laughs> on Sundays. But yeah, yeah. when the money is very high, we tend to do it on Sundays. When gotcha. it's just regular, we do it on Mondays. So that's through uh, – people can check that out um, through uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Uh, your box office report. And you, you post all this shit on uh, social media, on your Twitter and on your Facebook. All, all the shit. All right. Yep. Steve, uh, where can people read and see and hear and all that? They can read all my shit, at uh, all my reviews, I should say, at thirdcoastreview.com. And, uh, and yeah, like Eric said, at, on his Movie Madness podcast every every week. And then uh, you'll, I'm, I'm frequently uh, hanging out at my other job at the Music Box Theater, where I will definitely be there a lot in the next week. Uh, Nick, you're going to get sick of me in the next week probably so um well i'm not yeah, there for, so, i'm not there i'm not there for you man i'm there for Zemeckis, yeah, so all right i know <laughs> but i'm gonna be there i know you're gonna be there i know i know i mean and uh you know but i mean yeah but you you know but you work there i'm just a loser mm-hmm. i'm just gonna be i have nothing else to do but go see zemeckis <laughs> movies that, that i've seen 900 times before so all right uh and we'll talk we'll talk about that zemeckis uh, stuff a little bit later on but let's get to the mm-hmm. new movies um now, some big ones open up next next Friday, which we will not be able to review at length, like Evil Dead Rises opens on the 21st, and uh, Ari Aster's new movie, Bo is Afraid, opens on the 21st. And those are kind of big, um, and they will be much talked about, uh, especially Bo is Afraid. There's going to be a lot of talk um, about Oh, yes. Uh, already about, is. About, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there already oh, is. Yeah. And, and I'm, I've already gotten into arguments about it, so I don't want to – I'm not going <laughs> to – get into it right now but um but that's coming out and then like the guy richie's got a new movie the guy richie idiot has a new movie called the covenant coming out (laughs) so there's a bunch of stuff coming out that is happening in between uh when we record so uh we will we can mention that maybe the next time we're on depending on uh whether those things are still out and and about i still think a week after those movies come out people will be talking about them um Mm. so anyway so but we are talking about the stuff that opens this week and the first one we want to get to 
is from director Kelly Reichert, who uh, has done some really amazing work, particularly amazing work when she teams up with actress Michelle Williams, and they've reunited for a new movie called Showing Up. And all of us have seen it. And Eric, tell us about Showing Up. Okay. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Michelle Williams does star in this film. She plays Lizzie, who is an artist and a sculptor uh, who lives in Portland, uh, kind of a part of a family of uh, art artists and whatnot. Uh, she lives alone, um, although she has a landlord uh, played by Hong Chow, uh, who is also uh, an artist. And uh, is, she's, much, she's a much better artist than she's a landlord. We'll just say that much. Um, <laughs> And uh, Lizzie, uh, during the you know when she's not you know, working on her sculptures, uh, actually works with uh, her mother, part of like this kind of like artist commune type place uh, with other fellow artists. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned, her, the rest of her family uh, are artists as well, including uh, Judd Hirsch, a little bit of a Fableman's uh, reunion here. Uh, and uh, she also has a brother played by John Magaro, who is sort of the kind of stereotypical starving dangerous artist that you're not quite sure what he's doing and you might not sure you wouldn't really want to be around him um and their relationship is his entire relationship with the family is kind of contentious just because of the way that he behaves but mostly the film is about uh lizzie and uh, a lot of it having to do with her relationship with uh, hong chow's joe and how the the dynamic between the two of them uh as landlord and tenant go um but you know i mean this is i mean this is a film as we mentioned the word many times about artists and uh, about the how someone just keeps going on when you know there's not a whole lot of money it takes a lot of time a lot of effort uh and uh, whether or not it is sort of worth just you know continuing to to move forward uh, in a venue like this. And I think all of us can kind of relate to that, uh, that aspect of the story. Uh, Kelly Reichardt obviously has uh, developed a reputation with uh, not just, you know, our, our many critics uh, as one of the more uh, most interesting filmmakers uh, to come down in the last uh, decade or last couple of decades. Uh, I have always had a kind of a passive relationship to Reichardt's work, which I have liked in the past. I like watching uh, the journeys of these characters who are on some sort of journey you know i won't i'd hesitate to call it a mission but like like wendy and lucy that she did with michelle williams where it's basically just this hour and a half search for her missing dog i thought was well, i was fascinated by that and that character uh certain women is another one that uh I, I tells various stories uh almost like an anthology of, of tales about uh, various women uh and their struggles uh, i found that very interesting uh meek's cutoff is a very uh very low key <laughs> a western which is very, uh, a very a story of a journey and whatnot i still actually still have not caught up with first cow that's i, I completely forgot that Ooh. that movie existed wow. uh when i when i sat down to watch this one so i'm still behind on that wow. one all right um yeah you got some homework to do my friend I do. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of homework <laughs> to do, my friend. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but this one, I, I found I, I was a little more passive than usual to this one. Uh, there's the scenes between her and Chow and that really weird relationship that they have and the way that Chow is just kind of she's she's just got it. You know, she's uh, in this place in her life that uh, she she can just, you know, 
look for tire swings and stuff like that and not really worry about anyone else. Um, she's in the sort of this days of her own uh, happiness that she does isn't really there for anybody else, but is still trying to be friendly as best she can, uh, particularly to little birds that are wounded outside her building. Uh, and I like the, those scenes together, and I like the scenes where it's just Williams working on her art and re- recognizing that there are interruptions in her life and the, that she loses time and whatnot. Time is going to be a big deal with the Zemeckis Festival, obviously. Uh, and I really appreciate that stuff. The stuff with her family, I was not nearly as interested in. Uh, the stuff with her brother uh, felt like it was kind of a... a, a, a an excess uh, in, in uh, creating drama that really wasn't there. I didn't really wor- that didn't really work for me. Uh, and I mean, this film goes on for about a, you know 105 minutes, something like that, and felt it could have been a little more streamlined into getting the, the more of the artist experience rather than these other things that are going on in her life. So I'm really kind of on the fence on this one. I, I really like what Williams and Chow are doing in the movie. Uh, the rest of it, I kind of kind of taken a lift. Okay. Steve, what about you? Uh, I, I uh, not only think this is one of Kelly Reichert's funniest and most accessible films, I think it's one of the best films I've seen this year so far. It, it's, I mean, the thing, the thing, thing about it is it's not, it's not a film with like a straightforward plot. It's more of about immersing us in this world. And I, I have family members, including my, my cousin David, who comes to our festival every year, who are trained artists. They went to art school in New York and everything. And there are things in this movie that just ring so true that it took my breath away. And Reichert is like showing us this place, which is sort of like an art school slash art commune. And um, she's sort of, she's not just showing us these people in this place. She's sort of dropping us in the middle of it and, and asking us to spend time with them and think creatively alongside of them and wonder whether we could even live this unsustainable lifestyle that they do. And I'll tell you, the answer is no, like I definitely could not live like this, but I also love just sort of the, the persnickety nature of Michelle Williams character. It's just, she, she has reasons certainly to be upset with certain people, but the way she kind of approaches these confrontations just are counterproductive. And I think that's hilarious. She's just never going to get that sort of thing. Right. I was also really impressed with the, the way they represent the art both being made. And then with each of the two women have shows and like Joe's art is like big and it fills a room and you feel like you can touch it and you're supposed to walk through it. And um, and Lizzie's is just like a table full of tiny little fragile sculptures. And I think that might say more about them than anything else in this movie. It's it's so, so smart and so well done. And that whole thing with the the bird, the pigeon, it's a pigeon. It's not like and I, I love how the veterinarians like, why did you want to save this pigeon? Like right, the, right, even the vet right. doesn't get why they want to. Um, want to save a pigeon because nobody does anyway but i there again something about like lizzie seems just like intent on doing this because i think she identifies to some degree with this scrappy little thing so uh so it's kind of important to her um i think the scenes with the family are 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 kind of vital because i think we're missing a lot of background on her until we meet the family and then we meet her father like you said judd hirsch marion plunkett plays the mother uh, John Magara, who was the star of uh, of First Cow, yeah. um, 
I think he's mentally ill. I don't think it's just that he's weird. And I think he's like mentally ill. I also think he has the funniest line in the movie where like Lizzie's freaking out about her gallery opening and how much cheese there should be there. And he just starts shoveling it in his pockets. And she's like, it's not dinner. And he goes, it's my dinner. So I, (laughs) it just cracked me up because of course it is anyway. And then I love that they're like little smaller cameos by, you know, these actors like uh, Amanda Plummer, James LaGrosse is in here, just these people that used to be staples in like indie cinema. And I'm glad to see that they're still around and, and Riker still appreciates them and kind of. And Matt, and Matt Malloy, Matt, Matt Malloy. Too. Oh yeah. Matt Malloy also. Although I still see Matt Malloy and stuff. He's yeah. Not as yeah. quite as, he's not but quite he's, as but he's like, he's the, he's, you know, Amanda's like a uh, husband in it. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that, <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah. So it, it just kind of all adds up to this atmosphere that feels a lot looser than I think Riker's other films do. It's it, like I said, it's really funny, accessible. Whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. But but it just is, and I I truly love this film. I think it kind of crackles in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, I'm with you, Steve. I I think it's one of the best of the year. I've seen it twice. I love it, and uh, and I love her work. I think she's great. And um, you know, the thing is that this place is actually real. Um, it, it is, it's, mm-hmm. it's a place that's in Portland and, um, and it's not exactly as shown in the movie, but every artist in the movie doing what they're doing, whether they're doing, you know, dance and movement in the middle of a field or whether they're <laughs> painting or whether they're doing sculptures or whether they're doing tie dye, whatever it is, that's all real. Those artists are all real. They're not actors. So you are immersified in this world. And it's unbelievably authentic in the way that it feels. And, and I love the fact that, like, we're dropped into this and you don't quite know the relationships. Like, you, for the first two scenes, you don't know that her mother runs the place. Like, you don't know their mm-hmm. relationship. And I love the way all of that stuff unfolds. Like, James LeGros only has, like, four lines in the movie and he's fucking hilarious. Like, he just, like, at one point, he just walks up, says something, and walks away. There's a dog at the doorway into the school that they have to climb over for no explanation, no reason. She's got a cat and all this. I don't know what it is about like animals and, you know, the, the use of animals in Kelly Reichardt's movies, but they're beautifully done. And, the, you know, the cat is fantastic in this. <laughs> and the whole relationship with the pigeon is indicative of, the, of, of Michelle Williams' personality. She's the one who hurts the pigeon. Like, it's her cat that mm-hmm. does it. And then she abandons the, the, the thing. And then Hong Cho brings it back. And then she's like, well, you're not taking care of this pigeon correctly. And starts to get pissed <laughs> off about a pigeon that this girl is not taking care of. Well, the one that she's responsible for damaging. Um, and then that becomes symbolic. I love the family stuff. Um, I think all the stuff, which, the, the stuff at like her opening near the end where, where people walk in and like Amanda Plummer goes, well, it's almost downtown. You know, like they say that like her, 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 her gallery is like not downtown like Hong Chow's is. It's like almost downtown. And all of the shit that she goes through to get these things done, to get her sculptures done. Uh, and Andre 3000 uh, runs mm-hmm. the kiln. He runs the kiln at the art center and fucks up one of her, <laughs> one, of her <laughs> one of her pieces. And and it's about her dealing with that and all these things that are thrown in there. And I just thought the atmosphere was perfect. The world of art was brought out in a unique way. And I think Michelle Williams is wonderful in this movie. And she's not an incredibly likable character. I like how frumpy she is. Like her, her posture is bad. Like her clothing, she's got like bad Crocs. And I just like her voice choices and everything. Like the way she talks to that cat and, and just like how she talks to, 
you know, just everybody and, and, and that stuff. And I'm not going to give anything away, but the pigeon builds up to a, to, to a moment in the movie that I think is extraordinarily beautiful and really sublime and really suspenseful. Like something happens because the, the, the film builds up to kind of her opening and something disastrous may happen at that opening with all of this shit, her family, her friends, the biases, the pigeon, all of it comes together at this ultimate event at the end. And this little low-key movie that was shot, you know, like in days, uh, builds mm-hmm. up to this incredibly suspenseful climax where I was on the edge of my seat during that opening. Like, holy fuck, what is going on? Like, I was, it, I could not, and, and, you know, so anyway, no, I really, I, I love this movie. I love her movies. I love her work with Michelle Williams. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Michelle Williams and uh, Judd Hirsch all is forgiven for the Fablemans because you're great in this movie. <laughs> And 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 I just think it's a I think it's a, a great portrait of art. It's unique. It's interesting, um, and I love it. And so yeah, I was I was with it. I was on board a hundred percent. The second time I saw it, um, Kelly Reichardt did a Q and A afterwards, um, and somebody did mention the pigeon, and uh, and it was like, oh, it was animatronic. Because I don't know if you guys noticed at the end credits, it says it's an animatronic pigeon. <laughs> And no. every and and she said, yeah, it's an animatronic. There's like a whole like list of of uh, of people who ran the animatronic. It's like animatronic pigeon is one of the the final credits. And there's like eight people who are responsible for that special effect. And Kelly Riker gets the question, and she's kind of a. Have you ever either of you ever interviewed her? I just did for no. this movie. Yeah, uh, she's a little contentious. You know yeah, what I mean? Like sometimes. She, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I've you know, and I've known that from the past. But and uh, Eric, have you? No. Okay. And she was like, like she got the pigeon question, and she knew she was going to get the pigeon question, but she made it very clear that she was fucking sick of the pigeon question. <laughs> like this, like animatronic pigeon. She's like, all right, let me just say this right now: in only one shot in the movie, it's animatronic. Just one shot <laughs> before everybody was going to start asking more questions about it. And, uh, uh, but yeah, and like, and and like her personality, is, you know, like knowing her through like interviews and things like that, and just her films. Michelle Williams is playing a version of her. You know what I mean? Like the kind, that kind of sort of attitude and like the kind of frumpiness. That's her. And you can mm-hmm. see it. When she was speaking after the movie, I'm like, well, fuck. I mean, Michelle Williams is basically playing you. And that, I think, also adds to, I think, the level of, you know, of how personal this movie is. I think it's a wonderful movie. I really do. And I don't expect it. I mean, is it playing? Was it playing like one, two theaters maybe? Uh, it's not uh, opening. I- it's eight twenty four. It's eight twenty four. So yeah, it's probably yeah. going to get a pretty wide opening at this point. So, but anyway, well, I loved it. I thought it was great. You got to see uh, the cow movie there, Eric. You got. I, I'll say I got to see the first guy. <laughs> I saw the other cow movie. I saw yeah. that. I saw cow. I did not <laughs> right. see first cow. First cow's great. It's uh, yeah. it's it's terrific. But anyway, I lo- I thought showing up was great. Um, so anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, now we're moving on to the complete polar opposite of the world. Uh, Steve, we have a new wacky, bloody comedy. Um, uh, about Dracula and his familiar uh, mm-hmm. Renfield, the classic legendary story. And this is told from Renfield's, po- Renfield's point of view, and it's the new uh, bloody comedy Renfield. Steve, tell us about Now, Eric, yes. you've not, you not seen this one yet. I have not seen Renfield, no. Okay, all right. So, Steve, tell us about Renfield. Yeah, so like most original, quote-unquote, original ideas from The Walking Dead and Invincible creator Robert Kirkman, Renfield isn't that original, but I, I thought it was <laughs> damn fun. Um, the, the, the director, Chris McKay, who did the Lego Batman movie um, and a screen, screenplay by Rick and Morty writer Ryan Ridley, uh, Renfield kind of shifts the focus of the Dracula legend to the Count's longtime familiar uh, 
played by the very affable Nicholas Holt, who seems to have adopted some of Hugh Grant's more sort of charming affectations now that Grant isn't really using them anymore (laughs) since he's clearly having a blast playing villains all the time. He's a a dick. He's become a dick. God bless him. He's become a dick and I love it. So anyway, the two, the two did star in about a boy when Holt was a little kid. So maybe, maybe, (laughs) I don't know, maybe that makes sense. Anyway, it only, it only took 20 years. It only took 20 years for it to rub off. That's just had to find the right part anyway. So, (laughs) right. So, so for, those not well-versed in vampire lore, a familiar sort of takes care of the vampire master's needs at night, meaning like bringing him innocent victims to feed on. During the day, he protects his sleeping, you know, body in his casket. Um, It just so happens that Renfield has a couple, uh, has spent a couple hundred years or so looking after uh, the daddy of all vampires. Count Dracula played to, I think, perfection by Nicolas Cage. And um, in, in the present day, the two have relocated to New Orleans where Renfield is beginning to regret his youthful decision to serve this narcissistic narcissistic monster. Monster. We get a glimpse of their early days together in a flashback that very cleverly looks like a lot like the original 1931 Universal version of Dracula. Either Bella Lugosi's face was replaced by Cage, or they just reshot it exactly the same um, of the, like these borrowed scenes from the original. Either way, Renfield has given certain powers. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Dracula has given Renfield certain powers that are triggered whenever Renfield like eats bugs. So he gets like kind of super strong. Um, he knows quite lethal forms of martial arts. I'm not sure how that comes from bugs. But anyway, he his punches are so strong, in fact, that he can knock your head clean off or pulverize every organ and bone in your body. Uh, needless to say, the film does not skimp on the blood and guts. If anything, it amplifies them. Um so when he's not looking after or providing for his master, Renfield attends a self-help meeting for people in toxic relationships so that they can break free of them on their own. He hears stories about mental abuse and extreme cases of codependency, and he sees a great deal of himself in these situations. Um, he decides to sort of kill two birds with one stone and hunts down the partners of some of the people in this meeting as food for Dracula. But in doing so, he inadvertently gets tangled up with a drug dealer uh, named Teddy Lobo, played by Ben Schwartz, uh, whose mother, Bella Francesca, who's played by the great Iranian actress uh, Shora uh, Agdashlu, um, in the, 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 as, is sort of the city's top crime boss, uh, while attempting this good deed of saving a bar full of people with, from Lobo's goons, Renfield meets a beat cop named Rebecca, played by Aquafina, um, whose police officer father was killed by the Lobos, and she's seeking revenge. Uh, every chance she can get. So Renfield is an action horror comedy. And overall, I think it tends to strike that balance between those three, among those three, pretty well. There were moments having to do with the themes of Renfield's traumatic subservient status, uh, wanting to bring a little good into the world and make up for some of what he's done on behalf of Dracula. I think some of that slows the films down in points. Um, but for the most part, I think the, the pacing is pretty brisk. Um, the humor in the film is, I think, is what keeps things moving more than anything else. But Cage is is just clearly taken over completely, playing the Dark Lord. He 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 plays it nasty, but he does this sometimes line reads with like this simpering Renfield, like just whenever Renfield is like simpering in front of him, the, I think Cage responds. It's, it's like hilarious, and I, I have to give credit to Brandon Scott Jones as the support group leader, also Mark. Um, he has the self-help lingo down 
uh, pretty pretty much nails it and and helps Renfield sort of metaphorically crawl toward an escape route. Uh, Aquafina is not only funny here, but she also sort of follows up her action every appearance in Shang-Chi to just truly kick ass uh, in a couple of, I think, really good fight scenes. Um, I would never be so bold as to imply that Renfield was any kind of great comedy um, and, or great action piece or a great horror film, but I think it does all three to varying degrees quite well, and I think it's that that combination that makes it, I think is going to make it a, a pretty fun crowd pleaser for things for people. So anyway, a mild recommendation. Yeah. No recommendation from me. I fucking hated it. Um, it, it here's, here's the, here's the thing. Um, it, it, look, I know that this story has been around for 80 million years, but the problem is that releasing any kind of vampire comedy that involves a familiar in the age of what we do in the shadows on FX, which is the funniest goddamn thing uh, on television and handles it in a way that is so it's it, you are you're making a big mistake attempting any kind of modern day vampire comedy uh even gore related because what we do in the shadows goes gore and you've got I mean Guillermo is a much more compelling character than the way they do Renfield in this movie I know Renfield is, was around long before Guillermo and Guillermo is you know is 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 a familiar that is, you know, years after this, this whole cliche has been established. I understand that. But Guillermo in, uh, in, in What We Do in the Shadows is 9,000 times more creatively handled and funnier and more hilarious than what they do with Renfield in this. And, and uh, I thought Nicolas Cage just fucking coasted through this thing. He did the Nicolas Cage shit that he always does, and I didn't think there was anything special about it. I love Nicolas Holt. He has a couple of moments here that are okay, but it's so, uh, it's so poorly written and so inconsistent in terms of tone that I just didn't give a shit. I love Aquafina. Um, I, however, don't like her. I don't think she has anything to do with this except for, you know, just chatter on and on with expository dialogue, ex- you know, explaining everything, which she unfortunately has to do in every goddamn scene. Uh, I laughed one time exactly, and it was because of a, a line that I'm almost positive Aquafina uh, improvised. Uh, ben Schwartz is doing Ben Schwartz. I mean, he, it, he may as well have this. He may as well have combed his hair like he had it in, in Parks and Rec. <laughs> it's the same goddamn thing. Um, and you know, like uh, the supporting, like the all the, the whole plot is absurd. The whole uh, self help stuff uh, and going to the to the anonymous meetings and stuff like that. Uh, there's great fodder in that. There's there's a girl in there's one there's one girl whose story keeps getting interrupted during the <laughs> meetings. That's that's a consistently amusing like three joke thing that they do. Um, but outside of that, it doesn't work. And it's been done a million times before. And again, uh, the gore has been done a million times and much better. I just didn't care. The fight scenes went on forever. The blood, you know, the, and, and, and I think by, by multiplying the the blood by gallons and gallons, they think they're being clever, but they're not ripping off arms and slapping people in the head with arms and ripping off heads and punching them off and having them explode. I've seen this a zillion times and much better and much shot and much more shocking and much more funny. Uh, this to me landed like a thud for the 97 minutes that I had to sit through it. Um, I just didn't care. And then on top of that, again, if what we do in the shadows didn't exist, maybe I'd like a little bit more. Maybe I'd hate it less than I did. But what we do in the shadows is a million times better, covering very familiar territory in a much more creative, much funnier, and with a much more uh, compelling and funny and lovely familiar uh, Guillermo. I will take Guillermo over Renfield any day. So, yeah, this to me was, that was a chore. It was a chore. So, I don't know. <laughs> But, I mean, I don't know. We'll see how it does. I mean, the audience, you know, I saw it with you, Steve. I was sitting right next to you, you mm-hmm. a couple of seats away from you. And um, 
you know, uh, the audience seemed to enjoy it. They were having a good time. They were hooting and howling, uh, you know, yelling. Yeah. So there you go. So I don't, you know, what the fuck do I know? Anyway. Uh, all right. So that's Renfield. That's out now. And, uh, and if you're in for that, if you're in for the over-the-top bloody gore uh, wacky shit, then go for it. Uh, I thought it was shit. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right, Eric, you're seeing that. You're going to go see that one, uh, what, tonight or tomorrow or some shit? Uh, I might have already seen it. Oh, you might have already seen Oh, yeah, by Friday. Yeah, yeah. you probably already that's have right. seen it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. Right. that's right. It's Friday. I keep forgetting it's Friday. All right. The next one is a comedy. We'll get to, uh, we'll do this one right here. And it's uh, with uh, Tony Collette, who uh, now this is like her third comedy in a row. Is that uh, after, what was the other? I know The Estate was the last one that she was in. Um, oh, gosh, right. Um, and, uh, which <laughs> I actually, I like that movie. I, I'm a fan yeah. of that movie. Uh, but anyway, her, her latest movie is called Mafia, Ma- Mafia Mama. Uh, mm-hmm. And all three of us have seen it. Eric, tell us about Mafia Mama. Well, let's see if we can all agree on this one. Um, <laughs> Tony Collette. Tony Collette plays Kristen, who is not having uh, a great time in her forties. Uh, she works as a, uh, an ad executive, uh, very misogynistic uh, company. Obviously, everyone wants uh, their their the commercials with women on bikinis and jet ski on jet skis, um, and uh, her. Oldest son is going away to college, so she's about to become an empty nester, uh, which doesn't uh, work out well when her really cartoonishly idiotic husband is caught banging someone (laughs) in their house. I've even forgot what the relationship was, but a much younger girl, uh, uh, she catches him. So things are not going well, um, and she ends up uh, discovering, though, that... uh, her grandfather is actually the head of the Italian mafia, or at least a uh, Italian mafia family uh, in Italy. Uh, so she ends up going to Italy, uh, assuming the first for vacation, but uh, is brought to uh, the, the, the mafia home uh, where the consigliere is played by Monica Bellucci. Uh, and she is told on video cassette, like it's Brewster's Millions, that uh, she is the, going, going to be or will be in charge of the, the, the of the mafia. Uh, well, needless to say, this is she hasn't even seen The Godfather, which is a running joke throughout the movie. So she has no idea how to possibly run the literal family business. Um, but this is what her grandfather wanted. Uh, the Bellucci's um, consigliere tries to sort of mentor her way uh into dealing with the various families meanwhile they're they're hitmen uh on her on her payroll and at least one of them feels like he's being passed over for the job so there's friction there uh and then wacky mafia comedy ensues throughout um so in in reviewing this movie uh if, if all of us decided right now to just start doing the review in obnoxious Italian stereotypical voices, not only do I think that would be appropriate, but I think it's actually be expected uh, given the way that this movie plays out. And mafia comedy is obviously not a new thing. There have been a number of them and some of them actually very funny. Um, This one uh, putting a a woman at its center, it reminded reminded me not, not too long ago, I think it was a movie called The Kitchen, yeah. Is that the movie that with Melissa McCarthy in them, yep. where the, yep. the bunch yep. of local women took over the mob, the, the mob basically? Yeah, uh, yeah. which was that wasn't a comedy though. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a comedy, right? right. Uh, yet it had comic actresses in it. It wasn't right. a comedy. I mean, it wasn't uh, supposed. It wasn't supposed to be a comedy, is what I should say. It wasn't supposed to be a comedy. It was <laughs> right. a piece of shit. Right. Yeah. It, um, <laughs> but it just. I mean, I don't know why uh, people are. are I, 
at least over to think of any other uh, mafia comedies uh, with women at the center. But basically, this is the entire M.O. of this movie is just to have Colette just kind of be, be mugging the entire way, uh, not certain of what's going on, uh, people trying to kill her uh, while she's just basically just trying to have sex uh, <laughs> with, with hunky Italian men and, and people who, who come into her bedroom. Uh, and, and, then it, you know, and then turned the comedy into, at times, some very shocking violence. This movie does not shy away yeah. from uh, giving you the, the mafia experience, if you will. But when you think about you know some of these other mafia comedies that have existed, like analyze uh, analyze that um, was it analyze this or analyze that Anal- Which, both of them. The first, the first uh, one yeah, is yeah, both the first one is this. The, the second one. one is that. That yes, is the second. this is the good one, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, but I don't. I mean, with all the talk of this movie that uh, Colette's character hasn't seen The Godfather, I don't think anyone associated with the movie has even seen Mickey Blue Eyes for God's sakes, and mm-hmm. how to craft the absurdity of. Uh, I mean, like, no one in this movie acts the way anyone would in a comedy, and yet they don't act the way that they anyone would in real life as well. I mean, this movie feels like it's something like Detective School Dropouts or some crap movie from the 1980s that would, would show up on cable. I mean, Catherine Hardwick directed this movie. Hardwick is in my Guy Ritchie camp in that I don't think she's ever made a good movie. And this might actually be her worse and that is saying something this movie is insufferable to watch uh it's it was a painful to watch such a great actress like colette just have to go through the motions i mean she, i mean she's trying but she's so over the top and the movie doesn't know where to fit her in to the rest of the, the story this is i mean this movie is not funny um it, it doesn't work as satire of uh, mob satire or the kind of eat pray love under the tuscan sun uh, type movies that this movie uh, is kind of trying to be at the same time this this movie is one of the worst films we're going to see this year i'm certain of it okay steve what do you think oh it's fucking awful i mean it really, it's really it's 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 not i mean bad it's embarrassing. Like it, this is going to go down as like, okay, let's talk about some of the, 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 the comedy violence of it. I, I particularly like the jokey fucking attempted rape scene. Yeah. That yeah. It's played yeah. for oh, yeah. laughs that like, yeah. I'm like, Holy shit. They're really just, they're just not going to stop this. Like you can insinuate that without like going as far as they do in this movie. And I mean, granted it, it you know, it, it culminates in like, her jamming her her high heel into the guy's eye socket but whatever my god it's like this is supposed to be a goddamn comedy and the i you know and you eric you said colette is trying i don't think she's trying at all i i mean i would say the only person in this movie that might be considered trying is bellucci but man i mean at least she's trying to play it straight most of the time colette is like is is slapstick in her way through this thing or some version of it and ha- like just making faces at the camera and and like yeah i think we lost i'm not saying there. that's not possible but oh, oh. oh i'm can you hear me yeah go ahead are you there yeah yeah okay. go ahead can you hear so us like her, her, her playing this her yeah 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 uh, so yeah, her playing this like sexed up middle aged woman. It's I mean that could be funny. It's not funny here. It's because it, there's nothing about her behavior or even her mindset that that makes sense. That seems accurate. That feels like an actual human being. Oh, this movie made me angry. I mean, ser- and then forget about her. Her son is an annoying little shit, and her husband. Like, why would he ever have to come back into this movie? It's it. Nothing in this movie makes sense. It's not funny. Um, 
Yeah, it's awful. It's yeah, it's, awful. it's uh it's terrible. We can we can you know <laughs> it's terrible and I felt I felt terrible for Tony Collette. My only excuse was I think she read the script and went, "Okay, I'm, am I just supposed to just completely go over the top in every moment here?" Um it's a terrible movie. It's a free movie. trip to Italy. It's a free trip to Italy. Yeah, again. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she did produce, she did produce this movie too. Yeah. So she's not Well, she worked with well, she wait, but she worked with Hardwick before. She worked with her on Miss You Already uh with her and Drew Barrymore. Right. Um, and I, I'm not with you on the on the hate and the Hardwick hate because I happen to be a fan of Thirteen, a big fan of that movie. Mm-hmm. And I also yeah, love, I also love Lords of Dogtown. I think that's a great movie. And I liked yeah. her ca- I liked her Cabinet of Curiosity a lot. Um, Didn't so, see it. So, so I think she I think she you know I, this is a terrible movie and she's made bad movies in the past. This is clearly the worst thing she's ever done. And and I always hate to diss a movie that Tony Collette is in, but it happens from time to time. And this is a really bad movie. So. All right. Well, there you go. Those are the three main ones. But the 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 the, the whole next week, I should say, well, starting well, we started last night. Um, we're going to mm-hmm. be uh, a lot of us will be spending a lot of time at the Music Box Theater, which is, uh, you know, Steve, you are the the the, the PR manager at mm-hmm. the Music Box. Uh, you also help program the Music Box. Well, the guys at Oscar Bait, which is a podcast that you can check out at Oscar Bait Pod, uh, those guys have uh, put together. Um, a program consisting of uh, Robert Zemeckis's almost all of his work, except for the digital stuff that went straight to Disney um, or, or, you know, straight to streaming. Um, outside of that, m- almost everything that he's done is going to be shown on the big screen, mm-hmm. almost all of it in 35 millimeter. And it starts, uh, it started last night and it goes through Wednesday. So it's the, uh, the 13th through the 19th of April. Uh, Steve, a, a quick little background on the, uh, on those guys, on the Oscar bait guys. It's, they they have they have and are programming like a little thing that we do called high and low, um, which is sort of two films that are very different, sort of one highbrow, maybe one lowbrow version of the same theme. They so, and that's been actually pretty successful, and we're still doing them like on a I think a monthly basis. But Will Morris, John Dixon, Will also programs a lot of the music box of horror stuff, including the marathon we do every October. Um, and I should mention they've also put together these unique pre-shows for each that will play before the showtime. Like if a show starts at one o'clock leading up to one o'clock, you're going to get like curated pre-shows. It'll be different for every movie. Um, And then they'll, you know, they'll introduce everything, but I think the pre-shows are going to, it's just going to be like various Zemeckis ephemera or somehow connected to the the film that is being played. Yeah. Um, that I, I, you definitely should come out early and see that stuff because they do do great job on that they, stuff. They do, and they the, do for yeah. they do that for they do that for high low as well. When they do the high mm-hmm. low stuff, there's always it's always great to get there early and sit in the house and watch the shit that they put together. It's really cool. So this is the closest we've had done in terms of a retrospective since our David Lynch one, and it is right. yeah. Um, and then there's yeah, we're doing like a, a collection of shorts. One one, I think it's Saturday and. Um, some of which we can't even advertise what it is because uh, there might be some rights issues there. But anyway, uh, you can probably guess a couple of them, but anyway, I'm, I'm yeah, I I love those guys. I, 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 you know, have worked very closely with them on this, just talking them about it, hear them talk about it. And I'm I'm very excited for what they have in store. Well, the stuff that they're showing, and I want to talk about, uh, about the stuff that they're showing. uh, Well, they will have Mm -hmm. already shown flight. Uh, by the time mm-hmm. we talk about that. So Flight and um, uh, Death Becomes Her is the first night. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm just going to fly down. I'm looking at the tickets that mm-hmm. I have. Used Cars, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Romancing the Stone, Beowulf, 
Castaway, um, Allied, uh, the Shorts, uh, the Zemeckis Shorts, uh, Back to the Future, all three of them back to back to back on mm-hmm. 35. Uh, what Lies Beneath, The Walk, Contact, um, Welcome to Marwin, um, Death Becomes Her, I Want to Hold Your Hand, 1941. And by the way, those, no, those screenings, I Want to Hold Your Hand in 1941, are going to be accompanied by a live Q&A with the actor Bobby DeCicco, uh, who is in both of those movies. And he'll be there for a Q&A. Mm-hmm. Forrest Gump and then Used Cars again uh, are among all the other, uh, the other films. So, um, Eric, I know that you and I uh, share the opinion that... Uh, I mean, Robert Zemeckis is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. What are you most looking forward to and which ones are you going to be at? Well, I'm going to be starting tonight. Um, I will be there from like from used cars through Romance in the Stone. Romance in the Stone, is, I'm very excited to see Romance in the Stone only because it's the only Zemeckis film I have not seen on the big screen. Wow. Uh, so to see that and in 35 millimeter uh, for the first time at the music box, I'm tremendously excited about that. And the pre-show with used cars and who framed Roger rabbit, you can't get much better than that too. Um, the, the double feature with uh, the Kiko. I, I mean, I, that's, that's just pretty amazing. Uh, I, I can't wait to see 1941 at the music box. And I mean, all of this stuff is being amplified by the fact that it's at the music box. You know, if this was just at a local theater, I, you know, I'd probably go to a few of them, but it, because it's at the music box, because so many of them are on 35 millimeter, I'm, st- I'm beyond excited to see this. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know which ones I, I'm more excited for because <laughs> I mean, I think that there's going to be, I, I think I'm going to be very emotionally involved with a lot of these movies, uh, particularly uh, Castaway and Contact. Uh, I can't wait to see. And Back to the Future is my favorite movie of all time. So to see that Sunday afternoon, uh, I absolutely can't wait for. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, I mean, I, I think Robert Zemeckis is one of the, uh, you know, I agree with a, a, a lot of what Dave Kerr says about him. And Dave Kerr, by the way, you can listen to the interview that uh, that Oscar Bate did with Dave Kerr, who's, the, I, for my mm-hmm. money, is the, is the he's the finest film critic that's ever lived. And he and I used to always talk about how much of a genius Robert Zemeckis is to the point where like people just like uh like like to the like a lot of people are like when Forrest Gump came out in 1994 I can't tell you the number of times I got into arguments with people uh one about how it is actually better than pulp fiction because it fucking is uh and that was like the big argument remember, you guys remember that that was like the big argument. oh my god how can pulp how can oh you know, yeah Forrest of course Gump? and Forrest Gump is a better movie than pulp fiction and it's also a really subversive movie the thing about Zemeckis' movies is that there's a real sense of subversive nastiness to them. Um, you know, uh, Forrest Gump says a lot. You know, it may be a heart. It may, it may pull your heartstrings and do all that kind of stuff. But the, what it says about America is is pretty dark. And a lot of his movies are like that. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, the, his most beloved movie has a bit of an incest subplot to it, which is the whole point of it, which is how the how the goddamn thing began to be written was like, Hey, what would happen if maybe you went back and your mom wanted to fuck you? What would, what would happen? Well, and it turned, and it turned, and that's what the movie at the, at its core is kind of about and stopping that. And, uh, and he's not afraid, you know, like, I mean, for me, the, 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 the sensibility, the unapolog- unapologetically sort of acidy nature of Robert Zemeckis is in every one of his movies, but none more than used cars. Used cars to me represents Everything that Zemeckis puts into his movies 
maybe, you know, on a subliminal level or, or a lesser state, but in your face for two hours. And if you want to get into the psyche of Robert Zemeckis, you watched used cars. I mean, that to me <laughs> is, is mm. an unapologetic statement of being a base American. And that's what his movies are about. And they're also, there's a real dark core to them. Context got a lot of dark shit in it. Um, um, to me, The Walk is an insanely underrated movie about filmmaking. That movie is about making a movie and getting it made. And, you know, and a lot of his movies are about that. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of the greatest works of art of the 20th century. It is one of the best. And you'll never, ever see a movie like it again. How they got all of those characters from all the different studios, especially Warner Brothers and Disney, to get them all together. You could never, ever do that. And the result is insanely beautiful and, and, and really quite dark. Um, the edge to his stuff, Allied, is a great sort of like, uh, you know, spy film that has a feeling of that. It was made in the 40s, and it's got two big movie stars in it, and yet it's got a real edge to it. Uh, I back Marwin. I think Marwin has elements of vertigo in it that I think a lot of people, I mean, I think, I think Welcome to Marwin's a fucking great movie and tragically misunderstood, which I think a lot of his films are. Um, there is no American filmmaker who has done more for technology in movies than Robert Zemeckis and experimenting with it. And sometimes those experiments don't off like with, uh, you know, like uh, a Christmas, uh, Christmas Carol and maybe Polar Express when he was working on the, the stop motion stuff, the animation stuff. But it, he, but nobody pushes the boundaries of special effects and technology the way that Zemeckis did. He changed movies. Back to the Future changed movies. Who Framed Roger Rabbit changed movies. His work doing that stuff with CGI, you know, in the early days changed the way people make movies now. More than any other American filmmaker, this guy has done that. He's pushed technology. He's, put, he's pushed artistic envelopes. He's a great storyteller. He gets great performances out of everybody, out of everything. And on top of that, he makes movies that make fucking money. Like a lot of his movies made a ton of money. And I don't know a lot of filmmakers who have the balls to do the themes that he does to push the boundaries that he pushes and yet make movies that people love. Um, I, he's in, one of the most important filmmakers that's ever lived. And I could not be more thrilled uh, that, that you guys are doing this at the Music Box. I can't even explain to you. I mean, I am beyond excited about this. And Steve, I, I, what, to, what, what, which, one, which ones are you most for, looking forward to? Oh, two quick things before I tell you that. Yeah. One, Zemeckis was also one of the first big directors to switch over to digital filmmaking. Exactly. Yeah. People were like, his best, his buddy Spielberg was didn't want to do that, but yeah. Zemeckis is like, oh yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, also, also, you mentioned Dave Kerr. The whole idea for this series came from uh, Dave Kerr curated a similar series at MoMA in New York. Yeah. But ours is bigger. Ours has more yeah. titles. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Dave, Dave anyway. has been, look, I've no, I know Dave for, for, for many, many years. And, yeah. and, and the, the, the Zemeckis thing was, I mean, that was a conversation that he and I, and Sergio was another guy. Yeah. Sergio, our good friend, Sergio mm-hmm. Mims. We would we'd just like talk about that. How the hell is this guy's movies making this kind of money? How, <laughs> how is the guy <laughs> with this kind of edgy sensibility crossing over into the multi-billion area? And, and also it's like, I mean, even a movie where he's a hired gun on Romancing the Stone. And that movie fucking rules. You know what I mean? Like even when he's a hired gun. I mean, his first movie as a director, uh, you know, I, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is an unbelievably funny movie. And has a nice yeah. little edge to it. And also 
all of the shit that he did in that movie on a minuscule budget to recreate the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, like the trick photography and the stand-ins and the doubles and recreate, like that shit is amazing. And, <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, and he wrote, he, he didn't direct 1941. He wrote it with Bob Gale, his partner. Um, and, this, and that's my third favorite Spielberg movie of all time. <laughs> and it's mostly because it's got Zemeckis' fingerprints all over it. And it's dark and crazy and so funny. And I don't know. Um, but yeah, man, you know, well, as you said, the digital, you know, the digital filmmaking, on every level, Steve, he's pushed the envelope. Mm-hmm. On every level. And Eric, I, I think you can agree with that. I mean, just from in yeah. terms of big budget, in terms of like technology, in terms of storytelling, I don't think there is a bigger American auteur than Robert Zemeckis doing more for the medium and making money at the same time. It's kind of like what everybody dreams an American filmmaker should do. This guy does it on a regular fucking basis. Yeah. So I don't know. And the thing is, is that I mean, the thing I mean, the the thing that you keep mentioning about how he's able to get away with this stuff. I mean, yeah. he is writing this rail, you know. Yeah, and, man. And you have to be you have to be two <laughs> things. You have to be obviously a great filmmaker and a, a great storyteller. So and able to sort of mask these ideas that he has in the movies. I mean, a movie like Contact, which is all about. Got science versus religion. That's yeah. not controversial at all. No, you know? no. And, and and Forrest Gump, which I, I mean, I think every passing minute becomes one of the most misunderstood pieces of, of all time. Yeah, without I mean, question. I mean, that movie is more hated now than it is beloved, and yet it's one of the most popular, you know, yeah. uh, success yeah. stories of all time. Uh, <laughs> I love talking that that movie to people because they their minds opened up a little bit when I go like, no, you're misreading what's yeah. going on in this movie, people. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, Absolutely. I mean, my favorite, the last thing I'll say is my favorite thing about used cars, Nick, <laughs> is when you listen to the commentary, which oh, is the best. Uh, not only that, it's the greatest commentary it's the, it of all is, time. Without quite, it's the greatest it's DVD the, commentary of all time. It is. Ever, it ever is. been done by Zemeckis, ever. Gale, and Kurt Russell. Amazing. And they tell the story, which, you know, Spielberg, you know, executive produced like all of his movies up to like <laughs> Romancing the Stone at that point. Right. Uh, and he, they tell the story about how Spielberg didn't believe that a, a politician could be working against <laughs> the public self-interest. That's how naive Spielberg was well, see, and, back in 1979. But see, and you know what, Eric? To me, you know, because because obviously, in the same breath, a lot of people you know bring up Spielberg when they bring up Zemeckis. You know what I mean? Of course, because obviously they they've been connected. No, they're, they're connected. <laughs> yes, you know, of course, they, they, they've been connected in a lot of ways. He executive produced a bunch of his movies, including you know Back to the Future films, and and uh, you know, and yeah. he and he wrote not and he wrote 1941, and he you know, right. so he's they're they're buddies, and and but the thing is. You just said is I think the reason why I like Zemeckis so much more is because Steven Spielberg didn't at one point think the politicians could do that, and that's all that Zemeckis thinks. You know what I mean? Like that, like, yeah. like, like that. I think that's one the problem with a hopeful filmmaker. I mean, Spielberg has certainly come around on that with some of the stuff that he's done. Oh yeah, nine eleven. No, you know, no, 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 absolutely. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like that, like that, and that's a blanket statement. But like Spielberg, yeah. you know, Spielberg now politicians wouldn't do that, and Zemeckis saying fuck yes they would. That to me, like in a nutshell, <laughs> is why I prefer Zemeckis to Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> but he's sure. it's just incredible stuff, man. It's it's absolutely just incredible and. And, um, yeah, so uh, we'll be there watching it. And again, you can get your tickets. <laughs> Single tickets are available now. I don't know what. I mean, mm-hmm. I would imagine the Back to the Future trilogy is probably going to sell the most. That would be my guess. I'm pretty uh, sure it's, it is selling the most. Yes. Yeah, and that's on a Sunday afternoon, so you got the whole day to go and check out all three mm-hmm. of them. But I'm I'm going to uh, 21 uh, showings. 
So, <laughs> so yes, Steve, you're going to see me a lot over the next uh, week. Uh, so, mm-hmm. but anyway, it's called uh, Cracker Jack uh, Compass, which because there are two movies in which a compass from a Cracker Jack box are essential to to the movies that are shown, which is a, a nice little touch. Uh, and they also have like a really cool poster that they've designed. Uh, for yeah. this event that's on sale and um so yeah so make sure you check it out uh it's gonna be a great week get there early to see all the cool stuff that the that the oscar bait guys put together for this festival and again it is uh april 13th through the 19th to go to the musicboxtheater.com and get your tickets now for one of the greatest american filmmakers to ever live uh ever and his next movie is gonna be fucking great so anyway all right yeah. i'm just i'm a little excited sorry and, they're, and now they're talking that Forrest Gump 2 is back in the conversation because I'm good the with new that. movie is going yeah. so well. So I'm totally yeah. fine with that. They could do 27 <laughs> Forrest Gumps. I don't, I don't care. Uh, so, anyway. All right. Uh, again, we are, we are, uh, we are not going to be with you for the next big round of movies that include Bo is Afraid and uh, Evil Dead Rise. But what do we got uh, the following week, which would be the end of uh, April? What do we have? Uh, have, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. It's the yeah. big George Foreman. Big George Foreman. Big George Foreman. Yeah, big George yeah. Foreman. Yeah. Uh, no, but the, and David David Lowry's new movie, Peter Pan and Wendy. Oh on, uh, yes. That, yeah, that's that's me. So we're looking forward to that. So uh, anyway, all right, cool. Well, thanks you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Everybody, check out the Zemeckis Fest at, at MusicBoxTheater.com. Get your tickets early for the Chicago Critics Film Festival, which begins May 5th, also at the Music Box. And, uh, right. and there you go. All right, guys. Thanks. See you later. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, see you later. There's Steve Procopi and uh, and Eric Childress. Uh, it's going to be a great week. We are we are actually it already started, technically it's already started. But you've got till Wednesday this weekend through Wednesday night to see an amazing amount of movies from the brilliant Robert Zemeckis. Take advantage of that, people. You really should. So that's MusicBoxTheater.com. All right, cool. Hey, you know who rules? Esmeralda Leon. Let's talk to her. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. As she is uh, on every uh, episode of the Nick T Podcast. It's always great to talk to Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. How are you? Hello. I'm doing good. How are you? You know, I'm all right. I'm excited about this uh, Robert Zemeckis uh, thing. Nice. uh, That is basically at the Music Box all week. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm going to be there basically every night. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, I was just talking about it with uh, Eric and Steve just a a couple of seconds ago. Uh, talking about all the incredible movies and events and all kinds of really cool stuff that they're doing for yeah. all the Zemeckis fans out there. And um, of which I thought I was the only one that was insane about Robert Zemeckis, but evidently I'm not because... I mean, yeah, to to do a whole yeah. s- screenings of all the movies and I mean, to be, you know, yeah. make some money. Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, I you know, and then like I was like, wait a minute, is this, I mean, are they specifically doing this for me? I mean, seriously, they're showing right. welcome. It's just showing, you in the theater. They're showing Welcome to Marwin. Everybody hated Welcome to Marwin. I love that movie. Um, you know? So anyway. But anyway, so the Zemeckis thing is, uh, is, uh, is, is going to be uh, the constant place where I'm going to be at the Music Box this week. So it should be fun. Very Do you have nice. plans for the, for the weekend of any kind? Um, at the moment, no. 
Mm. Um, probably just enjoy the weather. That it is. I don't know if it's going to hold. Well, <laughs> it, it is supposed. It's supposed to chill down a little bit, but man, yeah. the weather has just been spectacular as we record. This oh, it is to- supposed to. It is supposed to rain on Sunday. So. It's supposed. To, yeah, um, but not Saturday ca- seems fine though. Yeah, Saturday will be. I'm being a movie theater for all of them. <laughs> right. So the weather's not going to matter to me. It's all. It's going to be dark and cool wherever you know where I am uh, for the whole weekend. But uh, as we record this today. Today, it's supposed to be, like, yesterday was unbelievable. The weather was unbelievable yesterday. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then today, it's supposed to be the same thing. And what am I doing today? I'm seeing four movies. So that's right. <laughs> anyway, well, I hope you have a lovely weekend. I hope the weather holds up. You well, can thank you. Go out and have I some fun. I hope the weather holds up in the movie theaters. Are you uh, going to go to a concert? Maybe see... And gentlemen, Michael Bolton. Are you going to see... Uh, maybe... <laughs> Not this weekend. No? No, no Michael Does Bolton? He... Does he even tour anymore? Uh, Is he I around? don't know. He, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all he's all hip now. Like um, I he haven't was, uh, he was heard just from on, him in a minute. Well, you know what? He was just on the dumbass mask singer. He was a mask singer. Really? Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah, he was on the mask singer as I don't know what he was dressed. I can't remember what he was dressed up as. A dickhead, I think. I, I, mm-hmm. I can't remember. But yeah, no, the Bolton, my, this guy right here, gentlemen. Michael Bolton. He was uh, he was on Mass Singer a couple of weeks ago. Got okay, on this is interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, if you go to his website, you can uh, pre-order Uh-oh. an album called Spark of Light. Okay. Uh, that is touted as the first album of all original music. What? Oh, of all original <laughs> music by him. Yeah. I, I just see. I thought that was what musicians do, but yeah, no, but no, like a, a, like a couple of his. I mean, his biggest hits were covers, like That's when a man lo- when a man loves a woman. Interesting. Uh, yeah. What am I? How am I supposed to live without you? Those are all covers. Yeah, so, that's interesting to think about. Like, yeah, he doesn't. I mean, he did original. So he's done original songs in the past, but this, I guess, what they're saying is that the entire album there's not a cover, right? But right. still, like, how long has he been? <laughs> Oh doing man, this? forty years. And this is the first years. album yeah. of all it, it, original music. Dang man! It is, but seriously though, if you think about it, like his two, his two or three biggest hits were covers. Comes out June twenty third. If anyone, all right, I'm marking that interested. down right now. Holy shit! I'm camping out at Flipside. Boy, did I just date myself right there. I'm camping out at a record store called Flipside that hasn't existed in thirty years. All right, good. That's good, Nick. Um, I'm old. I am so old. Here, here's here. And he here's is how touring we'll actually. I am just an old man trying to get some wedges. He is touring? He's touring again, huh? <laughs> he is. Um, he he has some dates. So the next one is in May. He's going to be in Jamaica oh. at some all-inclusive resort. Yeah! But then, he's, <laughs> but then June starts a tour in Mexico for a few days, and then Ooh. he's in Portugal, Spain, and then he comes back to the U.S. Wow. Uh, in August. All right. He'll be in San yeah, Diego. Oh, yeah. 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 No Chicago yeah. dates. No Chicago, no Chicago no, dates well, that as means of we yet. Have, we have to, Esmeralda, we have to go to Spain. That's, we just have to go. Right? Now. Yep. That's it. You know, he'll be in San Diego, but no. Spain. No, we got to go to Spain. Hold on. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and oh. I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. I know Hi, you I'm do. Carrie Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I she's, love Nick's show. She's wearing a Michael Bolton t-shirt. She's ready to go. She oh, wants wow. to go to Spain with us. She's so ready. She is ready. 
She is so ready. All right. We're all ready for Michael Bolton, especially Steven Seagal. Gentlemen, Michael Bolton. Do you think Steven Seagal will tour and introduce him? Will he be the house? Introduce, will he be the MC at the show? That's it. That's all he's going to do. <laughs> he's not going to do one damn thing. Just bring his, that. Bring his fat ass out and, and go. Gentlemen, Michael Bolton. Right. He won't warm up the crowd in any way. He will just walk out, say that, and leave. That's all you need. That's Every all you need show. from Seagal. That, and maybe he'll just bring somebody out and break their arm. They'll break an arm mm. and then... You like crack an arm and a little yeah. martial Michael arts. Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Well, that could be. And you get this out of it. Ah! That's right. So anyway. All right. Michael Bolton. Uh, San Diego is his first date after spending a month uh, uh, in elsewhere. the U.S. Yeah. In the U.S. Okay. His first date in mm-hmm. the U.S. Okay. okay. All right. And you know, after you, you know, after you have a con- after you. Uh, have a little conversation with Michael Bolton. This is usually how you end up. You think you can get me to a hospital? I think I broke my ass. That's right. So. <laughs> I would think that'd be for Steven Seagal, but. No, he, no, he'll break your ass. He will break your ass if, uh, if you know. So anyway, all right. Well, uh, we we have plans for the summer now. Spain, Michael Bolton. That's it. We're going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Portugal. It'd be nice. We'll tour. We'll follow him. Like, why? Why are you going to Portugal? That's going to be great. We're just going in one day. Michael we're going to go in, see Michael Bolton, and leave. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to follow his. T- yeah, we're going to tour with and him. Then he'll like be in Spain. He'll be in Spain a few days after Portugal, and then we have mm. to fly all the way to San Diego. After so that. it'll be like, do they have uh, Bolton heads, like dead heads? I wonder. Maybe I would assume, probably. Yeah. Oh become- wow! So we gotta go. We gotta go Portugal. So this yeah. is in June. Okay. June twenty seventh is Portugal, and then Spain on the thirtieth, San Diego in August, and then he's uh, playing uh, L.A. in September, and then September tenth, Bulgaria. Oh, oh Jesus! <laughs> and then back to and then to New York in December. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just right. like well, Bulgaria. we've got our it's we've got our whole, we have our whole summer and fall. Planned, Esmeralda. We are going to be going. To we are jet setting across the world with to, Michael to, Bolton to see Michael Bolton and, of course, Stephen. And gentlemen, Michael Bolton. That's right. You know, uh, uh, my, you know, the my love there, Suzanne Vega. Mm-hmm. She just got back from playing uh, the UK and France, and you know, she did parts of Europe, and she just announced uh, more dates in America. And God damn it, the Midwest is not on that list. Yeah, we. Sometimes get forgotten. I am not happy. I'm going to have to call <laughs> a her lot of up. bands you know, play, and they just they just forget about us. She's she's you know she she and I are buddies now. You know me and Suzanne Vega, so I can call her up and go, hey, you need you need to come to Chicago, specifically yeah. specifically my apartment. And <laughs> there, see, just do that one time show. <laughs> just in my apartment. in my apartment, come, please come over to my apartment and play. And it'll be great. And you know you know who will be there. I don't know if you know. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Big Suzanne Vega fan. She'll be there. I mean, that would be the get, right? Yeah. You'd be like, well, Carrie Russell lives on my okay, porch. Listen, Suzanne, Carrie Russell lives on my porch. So I mean, you should come play my apartment. <laughs> you should come play my apartment. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, since I will not be seeing Suzanne Vega, 
uh, unless they announce. You can follow Michael Bolton. I can follow Michael Bolton around, which is what we're going to do. Now, do we have to, you know, because he cut off his mullet, so we don't, he doesn't have that great hair anymore. Right. So we can't, I was, I would love to wear like a wig though. Don't you think people would like big Bolton fans walk around with a wig? Oh yeah, I think you could do it. Yeah. You could do it and it'd be, you know, an homage. Yeah. I used to have a mullet back in the 80s. Didn't everyone? Yeah, we all did. Felt like everyone just had mullets in the 80s. I think we did. And I think what the thing was, like, if you go back, like I've said this before, if you watch Live Aid, um, one of the ultra mullets in the history of mullet mullet, Mm -hmm. uh, Bono has, like, one of the the most mullety mullets that you'll ever get. And, you know, in 1985, if, if Bono has a mullet, it's cool. You know what I mean? Like at that time, it's well, like, yeah. what I find interesting is, yeah, that's like a haircut, right? Your hair doesn't just grow into no, a no. You have to have them cut the. You have top to go and, and be like, "Excuse me." Yeah, I would like. Now, do you tell them you want a mullet? No, or at do that you time, tell them I, short up here. Yes, short up here, short long on the in sides, the back. Leave it long in the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! And they're just like, uh huh, a mullet. Nope. It, you mean it, a it mullet? Wasn't, it wasn't called a mullet then. I don't know what it was called, but it was like, mm. the, I don't know where mullet came from. I really don't. I don't know if it became, because I know that the term started to get thrown around a lot when Billy Ray Cyrus came out. Because mm-hmm. when he when the Achy Breaky Heart video came out, because that was like 1990. So it was, by that point, we were past the 80s excuse of having a mullet. Because in the 80s, Esmeralda, hair was bad. Like in general. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I had so many fucking bad hair ideas. And I went through the whole thing. My hair was, I had my hair straightened at one point. Wow. Um, it was spiked on top. I had a rat tail. I did the whole new wave. I had the, 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 the sides shaved really close and had the, you know. So I like, in, in the 80s, I had every new wave-ish techno hair thing that you could possibly have. Yeah. And. And the 80s, you know, people talk about, like, how the 70s, oh, God, everybody looked like an idiot in the 70s. Let me tell you something. The 80s were so much worse than the 70s. And I know that you, you know, you've seen all this stuff. You were a kid when this was around. But you go back and you look. The 70s, in terms of hair and fashion, were much fucking cooler than the 80s. The 80s were the worst. Oh, yeah. The 80s were the worst. I'm just amazed how everyone had very, like, poofy hair. Oh my God! The hair, the women, the it was the just girls, somehow very poofy, big like poofy everyone? hair. You would go through you seriously, and the guys too. If like you were into metal, yeah, like you, you know, you would tease out your hair and use sixteen cans of Aquanet before you went out to the clubs. Yeah, I mean it was ridiculous. Uh, so apparently, okay, the mullets have been around for, for a while, right? Like, like you yeah. said, they didn't have a name. I, they didn't uh, have a name. I had a mullet. I had a mullet in the. Early slash mid eighties. That's what, and then like after that, like yeah. around 80, 86 or eighty seven, I was like, okay, yeah, that's enough of that shit. But in the so early early mid eighties, according to the History Channel, the term <laughs> mullet wasn't coined until nineteen ninety four, and it was uh, they're accrediting accrediting the Beastie Boys song "Mullet Head." Oh, is that okay? And now I know the song. Apparently, I, the Oxford oh. Dictionary. The Oxford English Dictionary credits the B-Boys as well. Is that right? As the first to use mullet. Holy shit. I mean, I know the song. Of course I know the song. I'm a, I'm a, bo- I'm so, a B-Boys fan, but, but wow. But first, the first mullet mentioned, not by name, but by explanation, is in the Iliad. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he describes a group of spearmen as wearing their forelocks cropped 
hair grown long at the backs. That is fantastic. That's in the Iliad? That is in the Iliad. Yeah. So, yeah, they oh were rocking mullets God. in the Iliad. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Uh, wow. Okay. Wow. So you can't yeah, argue. Yeah, because apparently. You can't argue with, I mean, if, if Homer says, you know what I mean? If Homer, when Homer says it, you know it's real. You know what I mean? Right. Like you can't argue with Homer. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Yeah, I don't believe the mullet existed. Then fuck you. Homer wrote about it. What are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Man, it that's says, amazing. It's, so there is a there is a book <laughs> about the history of the mullet called Mullet Madness. And they say that people likely had that hairstyle to keep their necks warm and dry. <laughs> in historically, uh, like in Iliad yes. times. Yeah, okay. Right, like in uh, the olden, 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 not olden. In, not in 19, I didn't have it to keep, I swear to God, I didn't have right. it to keep my fucking neck warm. I had it because I thought the it was early cool. people, The yeah. early people had it because of yeah. that. Um, not warriors the, not... with the style, they said they were harder to grab during battle, uh, which seems I see. interesting because... You could from the from front, the back, but... from the front, but from the back, so right? Because in battle, you're not supposed to be running away anyway. What are you, a pussy? You know, it's I mean? true. <laughs> and then they could fight without hair in their eyes. <laughs> exactly. And now, helmets now that, fit better. That's completely different than if you're, you know, if you're 18 and you're a fan of the Fix. It's complete. It's completely mm, different. Right? Yeah. It's you know, it's you know it's gotten I mean? a whole new spin now. <laughs> well, now I'm proud of my mullet. Shit, if it dates back to Homer and you know warriors, yeah. warriors grew their hair that way. Shit, I look cool then. I'm gonna I bring mean, out those then, pictures that I have. I mean, Ben Franklin had uh, what yeah. apparently is called a skullet. <laughs> Because he was pretty much bald on top, but he had all the long hair. Right. Yeah. I mean, isn't... But uh, people speaking liked of him. Z- e- so. e- speaking of Zemeckis, though, uh, it doesn't Doc then have a skullet? Doc Brown? Isn't his a bit of a skullet? Um, no, he's got a full... He's got a whole head of hair. Does he? It's because I think it's kind of bald on... Well, you know what? When he's older, like he's 80s Doc Brown, his hair's thinner. But when he's younger, Doc Brown in the 50s, he's got a fuller head. Yeah. Head. That's what it is. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. I. You yeah. know what? That's funny. I thought that was just hair. But it is yeah. his forehead. It is. It's his forehead. <laughs> but he's but in the young in like in, in the 50s, you know, version of, of Doc Brown, he's got the full head of hair. But in the 80s version, he's the older, got the older makeup and, and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I think it it's becoming a mullet. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know because I'll or be watching it. I'll be, wa- I'll be watching all three of them in 35 millimeter this weekend. <laughs> so I this is like it. a half a half skullet, I think, <laughs> because it's it starts fairly long in the middle. It's like kind, it starts. He kind like it's of, not all short on top. You know. He kind of when he's older, Doc Brown. You know, because he's older in all in all the movies. Because like he's the older version. I think he's the older. No, he's the older. Yeah, he's the older version when he goes to the West too in Part Three. And when they go to 2015 in part two, he's the older version. So he's got the older makeup on. But he's closer to sporting a Larry Fine than a mullet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's closer he to might... the Larry Fine, you know? So in the old in the West, <laughs> he might have a mullet. I think it's yeah. longer. Right. And also, he, he in, the, in, in, the, you know, uh, in, the, in the third one, the old West one, like, cause that one of the reasons, one of the lo- reasons I love the third one so much is because it's, a- it's the only one that's really about Doc Brown. It's about a romance mm-hmm. between him and Mary Steenburgen. He has, yeah, he, he seems to be, or at least it's getting there. It's getting to be a mullet. It is. And, and also West because one. like he, cause he greases it down to, in order to look good for Mary Steenburgen. 
So yeah. it looks more like a mullet. You know what I mean? So, so he's then, got yeah, the, it's even yeah. more mullety. He's yeah. a little he's a little mullety in Back to the Future Part Three, which you can see in thirty five yeah. millimeter at the because he's got theater. a lot of volume. He does. Yeah, he does. In the in the he first does. one. Yeah. And what is his hat? Now he has no what when he is uh when he is the judge in Who Framed Roger Rabbit before like he is unmasked and, and just did he sound like this that whole thing before that <laughs> happens. What is his hair like? Because he wears a hat through most of it, right? For most of yeah. Who Framed Roger well, Rabbit. he's bald. He has he's that like bald. tuft of hair on top. Yeah, but that's at the end, like when they, when they, when he, right, when he realizes he's, he's a, a tune. Right, he's wearing a hat the whole time because that's when you realize he's a tune at the end. Um, yeah, but that's yeah, that's all he's got. He's got that tough. Okay, hair. no tough. So no, he does not. He's not pulling the. He's, so he's got a curly. So he's got a curly in that one. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a Larry fight. He's got to get a mo in some movie then at some point. Christopher Lloyd yeah. has to have a mo. So is he anyway. still? Does he even still do movies? I feel like he's yeah, 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 yeah. He was just in a no. He does. He was just on a show on a streaming show, um, oh. and I want to say he was on a Star Trek spinoff. And he's bald now. Oh. Like his, he's uh, as far as I yeah. Well, he's, I think he's, he's learned. Bald. He's like you know what? Let's and you know as well bald that there is a Broadway musical opening in June based on Back to the Future that played in in. Um, in London, that opened in London. Oh, nice. That Zemeckis is behind and everything. Like, he wrote the book for mm. and they wrote music for. And um, Roger Dart plays the part of, uh, of Doc Brown. Um, and he's an amazing... Uh, Roger Bart. Mm. I'm sorry, Roger Bart. He's an amazing uh, Broadway actor who's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in uh, the film version of uh, Mel Brooks, The Producers. And he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's amazing. Yeah. And he plays Doc Ooh. Brown. And it's opening in June in New York. And they're in rehearsals right now. Um... And uh, so, yeah, so that, that and, and he attended, he and Michael J. Fox and Leah Thompson and everybody, they all attended the opening in L.A. Uh, not in L.A., I'm sorry, mm. London, in London. So they're still, they still hang out every once in a while. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But yeah, the mullet. I, yeah, man, I'll, I'll show you a picture sometime. Make your hair stand on it. Oh, the Lord. fucking, the amount of, the, the clothing and the hair that I had. When I went through the new wave phase in the early eight, oh my God. Oh, God. So, I don't know. And I was dating a woman who was six years older than me and who had a kid at that time, too. So I went through a lot of those hair changes. <laughs> yep. You ever have bad hair, Esmeralda? Did you ever go through a phase where you had, like, uh, you, ever no. look, you ever look back and go, man, I can't. Well, did you, dre-, like, okay, in the 90s, no. you, were, you, were a, you were a kid in the 90s. Yeah. But in the 90s, like, everybody was like, let's just dress like slobs because that's my favorite period because I'm. The, the the fashion industry caught up with me in the 90s because I was dressing like a fucking bum with a flannel and long hair for a long time. And then suddenly it right. was like... Yeah, was, that was always the look. Yeah. And it was like, suddenly I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've been dressing like this. Now I'm hip? Accidentally hip? I was. I was accidentally <laughs> hip because I was too late. I let, my, I let my hair grow and I wore flannels and jeans all the time. And then, like, around 1990, 1991, people were like, yeah, you're trying to be hip. I'm like, no, I've been dressing like this for fucking six years. <laughs> so, <laughs> essentially, you were, yeah, you were being a hipster because you're like, no. Right. I and, did this before. Right. And the thing is, like, <laughs> and, and I can see why people would think that because, like, in the 80s, I was being a hipster with the hair. You know what I mean? Like, I did have the mullet and the rat tail and all that stuff yeah so it would make sense that people who didn't know me like in the early 90s were like oh well you're just trying to be hip again like you were in the 80s i'm like no i'm a slob i've been dressing like a slob since i stopped the rat tail (laughs) stuff so yeah i i wore flannels and things but it was a uh 
like the the G-rated version, you know what I mean? Because like I bought mine at, you know, the JC Penny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you I, know. most of the flannels that I had I had since I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. or 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 I bought at like a, you know, at Salvation Army or some shit. I didn't go, you know what I mean? Right. I, I, and the jeans I had were ripped because they were old. Not because they were pre, you know what I mean. Not because they were pre-ripped, you know. Oh, uh, I don't know. And I was wearing Doc Martens. It's weird, man. It's weird. So anyway, but fashion. You were oh, I can hear fashion. Uh, I can fashion little. Uh, I can hear your little cat. Mm-hmm. What's he wearing? Is he wearing a flannel? Is he in a flannel right now? He is. Um. He. He was just telling me that he invented all of that, so he told Kurt Cobain about it. Yeah, he was there. Did he have a mullet, too, at one point? He did. Yeah. But his more was like David Bowie mullet. Right. He was really cool. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, he He was hanging out with Bowie, too. That's another thing. Fucking Bowie had a mullet, and you can't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if it's that cool, it's got to be cool at some point. David Bowie had a mullet. His was very stylized in the sense of like it wasn't like billy ray cyrus mullet like no. where it's like just yeah. dangly and yeah no 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 his uh, was like yeah very uh, like trimmed and cut and well because almost he, a mullet honestly you know, to me that's that's barely a mullet yeah because it's fucking david bowie and everything he did right. was cool everything he did was cool you know what i mean, you know what I mean? But he I like wasn't he's... like rat tail right with with the end he was yeah, like no, oh I it's had a the, little I, bit but not yeah. too much I had the rat tail, man. I had the full-on 80s, you know, braided little rat tail. <laughs> oh, God. I'm not kidding. Jesus. I'm not kidding. I had Who it for about... braided two, it for you? I had it for about my girlfriend at the time. I had it for a, I had it for about two months, and then... I now, was did like, you okay. leave it in? What do you mean? Like, did I, you just... It braid, you braid it once, and then done. Don't touch it well, ever I, again. It, it wasn't... Yeah, it was braided for a long time, and then... I cut it off when it was braided. I was like, okay, yeah. enough of this shit. Uh, but it was braided for about a month. I only had it for like two months. I would say it was braided for a couple of weeks. So it was unbraided. It was just long. Mm-hmm. And then it was braided for, and then I cut it off. And I was like, all right, that's enough of this. And that's when I just, and at that point when I got rid of the tail, that's when I just let the hair grow. And I didn't get a haircut literally for years. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just let my hair grow and let it grow out and grow out and grow out. And then by the time my hair was like really, really long, suddenly like Pearl Jam was big. And I was like, oh shit. Now I'm hip. What the? You know what I mean? <laughs> I just like that you're like, what? Yeah. I'm hip I, I, now. What's, what the hell? When and did I, this start? Yeah. So I don't know. But yeah, I, it, it, yeah, the 80s were bad, Esmeralda. They were bad. Oh, I well, mean, yeah. They were no, so bad. And I was in my late yeah. teens and 20s in the 80s. That's when you were at your dumbest. That's when you're the biggest dipshit in the world is when you are in your late teens to your 20s. Mm-hmm. So of course you're gonna go. Yeah, I think that checkered sleeveless shirt and those vinyl pants are gonna look good with my with my rat tail. You know what I mean? Oh, like, <laughs> I'm not <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> no, I know. I yeah. And, and the thing is, Esmeralda, it wasn't like I was alone. Like there were millions. Right. Of no, us there was like many that. people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was one of a lot of people with rat tails in the '80s who would go, "Yeah, man, flock of seagulls rules." Whew. Um. I don't like the rat tail, but I still love Flock of Seagulls. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> not going to get rid of my love for Flock of I love the music. I'm just not going to dress like those guys anymore. But I will listen to 80s New Wave. At the, my, some of my favorite stuff is 80s music. But, yeah. 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 Yeah, you know, hey, listen, had a, had a rat tail too, me and Joe. 
Of course. He had one. Hey, I got to tell you something. <laughs> I remember when I got my hair when I got my hair straightened, like the back part of my mm-hmm. hair straightened. That's when I had a full-on mullet. When I had the the Bono mullet, because my hair when it gets long, it curls up. It gets very curly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, I wanted like a straight mullet. I didn't. I wanted. Well, it wasn't called a mullet, but I wanted oh. like the, the straight thing. So I got the back of my hair straightened. Right. And I remember I walked into Demetrio's, which was this Euro place that we used to hang out at on the corner of Montrose and Central, across from Toots Ice Cream. We used to hang out there. And the place where I got my hair done was like a block away. And I walked in, and Joe goes, "That's the best haircut I've ever fucking seen in my life." What's that? Oh my god! And he was being serious because it was like, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, all the 80s. No, I... 80s were bad, Esmeralda. Yeah. They were bad. They were yeah. bad. And, now, and where the... did you... Do you remember where you got that idea? Well, because... Every, straight... Like, all the cool... Because I didn't... I wanted to grow my hair like Bono and like all the other dudes, you know, mm-hmm. on TV and in music and stuff like that who had that hair. But my hair was too too wavy and curly, and it wouldn't cooperate mm. with the way I want... I wanted it to look kind of like Bono or kind of like those guys. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's why I was like, I'm going to get it straightened if I get it. And Joe was like, you should just get the goddamn hair straightened. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I did. And, and then I had the mullet for a while. Yeah. And then I got sick of the mullet and I cut it to the, to the rat tail. And that last, mm-hmm. lasted about two months and I cut the rat tail off and then let my hair grow. And then I haven't had a proper haircut since. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, they do. I mean, people still have mullets. People oh, still rock a mullet. A very stylized mullet, I'd like hey, to think. Listen, Esmeralda, I watch wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. I watch wrestling. I watch wrestling three times a week. I see mullets on a regular basis. Not just in the ring, in the crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy because you think I always thought that that's just how they grew. Like no, their hair is no. just growing out and that would just happen. No. It's like, no, no, no. They're going somewhere and, and like someone's cutting it like this. No, they asked for that haircut. You asked for that haircut. Now, I don't yeah. know because when I got it, I just was like, maybe, I don't remember. Maybe I like pointed to a picture of Bono or some new wave right. singer because it didn't have a name then unless yeah, I wasn't familiar with Homer at that time. So I didn't, mm. didn't <laughs> I didn't associate Excuse me, it with, I would like the forefront shorter. Right. And right. The... <laughs> I, I don't know, uh, young lady who's doing my hair. I don't know if you're familiar with the Iliad, but uh, I would like, you know, you know what I mean? You don't go in with that, <laughs> with that as a reference point. Usually it's a picture. Like I'd like my hair like this. You don't walk yeah. in with you don't walk in with a with a book of poems by Homer. You know what I mean? That's not <laughs> that's not what you do. So so, but now people who go get like guys who go get that they have to ask for it. Like I went in oh, and yeah. said I want my hair. I like mean, this. it's not it's not a um it's not a dirty word anymore. Honestly, no, it's hip, right? Mullets to be are like hip I would like a Is mullet. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, just like must like bad mustaches are hip now, right? Like it's like this, mm-hmm. the porn the porn stash. That's a cool thing. Yeah, I had that too. I had the porn mustache too. Oh You're yeah, so hip. I had no, I, I did. I had the porn You're mustache. So hip, and you the, don't even know it. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was ridiculous. And then, like, you know, I, I don't know when it was. There must have been a time when I just looked in the mirror and I went, "What the fuck?" You know, and <laughs> I just like, I was like, "Get rid of the rat tail." Let's what? So anyway, I, I don't. But yeah, it's uh yeah the eighties man. I love to go back and 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 watch movies from the eight from that time period. Like, have you ever have you ever gone back and watched just one of the guys? You remember that movie, just one of the guys? Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Classic, where she pretends to be a guy in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and like Sherilyn Fenn is in it, and all you know, and like that is ultra eighties. Like my God, 
the the costumes and the hair and all that stuff. I love going back and watching those movies. Like even if you go back and watch like Sixteen Candles, that's like eighty four, so it didn't get really because it got really bad in the mid eighties. 85 to about 88, the hair situation mm-hmm. was bad. It was really bad. Because that's when hair metal took off and all that shit. Like, if you went to the, the Thirsty Whale, yeah, man, to the whale. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah! The whale, the, the amount of hairspray that was used in that, like, you could really, like, start, anybody could, like, start a blowtorch. Like, if you lit up a cigarette, you were at risk of blowing the place up. Oh, with the yeah. Amount, the amount of hairspray. No, I could, I could, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> so I don't know. Now, when you were in high school, what was the hip way to dress? You were because you you when did you graduate high school? It was nineties. So like yeah, so like nineties. The nineties yeah. grunge thing yeah. was still happening, but again, it was a squeakier, yeah, clean version. Now, was that at that time though? Was it like did it get to the point where like the the low the the uh, the low rise uh, pants and the midriff thing was that a big thing too? Um, like I mean, the, yeah, the... that was yeah, yeah. later nineties. Later nineties, um, right? Yeah. But we weren't so in school. You weren't, you know, dress code wouldn't let you. Ah. Uh, we couldn't even wear like sleeveless shirts. So. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't either when I was in high school. Um, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I used to just when I was in grade school, I used to wear was co- concert tees because I used mm-hmm. to go to concerts all the time and I'd wear t-shirts that we would buy that were way too big for me that we would buy for five bucks in the in the parking lot of, of like the chicago stadium and stuff <laughs> that's what i wore and then when i went to luther north when i got to Luther north they're like you can't wear i wore a t-shirt the first day of school and they're like you can't wear that and i'm like what what like, did you have is, to wear did like, you have a wear, uniform like, no but we could we couldn't wear we could wear jeans but we could not we it was essentially we could not wear t-shirts um and T-shirts specifically with anything written on it, unless it was like your like it, w- it was a Luther North T-shirt, like your mm, gym shirt. Like okay. you can wear your gym shirt. Like if you want to, <laughs> you want to be smelly, get out of gym, keep your gym shirt on with your na- you know with yeah. the blank thing where you're supposed to write your name, you know, mm-hmm. that thing. But no T-shirts and no T-shirts with writing on it. You know, because hey, this is a Lutheran school, man. We got to look good. Right. Interesting. Yeah, and I you, yeah. So I, you had to have a, I, if I'm not mistaken, you had to have a collar on your shirt, at least the guys. Oh, okay. So we Aside could wear jeans. That, we could wear t-shirt. gym shoes, but no t-shirts with writing on it. I guess they got tired of it because I guess because you know, I, I started high school in 1979, and that was the first year they put that rule in effect at Luther. Mm-hmm. Because I guess people were coming to coming to to school with Disco Sucks t-shirts on mm-hmm. at that time, okay. and like you know shirts with marijuana leaves and shit. And they were like, we, we can't, can't do this anymore. Uh, and that's what we were wearing in the 70s, man. You know, we were wearing Disco Sucks t-shirts or like pot leaf t-shirts or like Skinnered shirts with bongs on it and shit like that. Keep on yeah. trucking. You know what I mean? People would walk around with keep on trucking shirts on. And they were like, you can't do that anymore. Oh, God. Wonderful time to be in school, man. Seventy nine to eighty three is when I went to, when I went to high school. To, you know, and you know what was really big with the with the girls in high school, mm. really big were velour shirts. Okay, mm-hmm. little, little little velour shirts, hair parted down the middle and feathered back with hairspray, and that was guys too. The parted down the middle, feathered hair. That was the big thing with guys, and uh, designer jeans. You got your Gloria Vanderbilt, oh, your right. Jordache, your yeah. Calvin Kleins, all because you know the I nothing between me and my Calvins. The the whole Brooke Shields thing was big at that time, 
every single girl had parted down the middle, feathered hair, and really, really, really tight designer jeans. And all the guys in high school had the bad mustaches, the little high school mustaches, hair parted mm-hmm. down the middle, uh, and combs in our back pocket. Like the comb, like the comb with a handle mm-hmm. in your back pocket. Well, yeah, because you have your, your feathered hair, too. Yeah, your feathered hair. Feather. You gotta, exactly. You have to feather your hair. You have to part, part, keep, make sure it's parted down the middle and feather it. But guys would walk around with like blue or black, whatever colored comb with a handle sticking out of their back pocket. That was cool. In, in mm-hmm. like, just like, like 1980, 81, you had to have a handled comb in your back pocket with feathered hair or you were a jagoff. Oh, boy. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, there you go. Would you forget? Would you forget your your comb some days, and you'd be like, "No, no, you had to have, have your extras." Comb. I'm trying to remember if I had. Yeah, if we kept one in our locker in case we forgot one from home. I would keep, think so. You had to have that comb handle sticking out of your back pocket, man. That was cool. Yeah. Got to comb that feathered hair. Yeah, you would. You would got to comb that feathered hair, man. Got to look. Oh, look, I'm kind of growing a mustache. I'm 16. Look, I've I kind of have. I kind. Looks like dirt under my nose. Kind of there. It's kind of there. I have a I have a bad 16 year old. I am barely out of puberty mustache, feathered hair, and jeans with a giant comb sticking out of our back pocket, and we were cool as shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Then I get out of high yes. school, and, and I get out of high school, and I and I fucking straighten my hair and wear speckered, you know, spackled shirts. Yeah, would uh, did anybody have a mullet while you were in school, or was no, it all feathered? Not really. No, when I went to because I graduated in nineteen eighty three, and the mullet stuff didn't really start happening until that eighty four ish. So it was feathered. It was feathered hair, bad mustaches. I mean, that was even after high school, like when we were like eighteen, nineteen. Feathered hair and bad mustaches led right into mullets. And, and yeah, feathered and hair. I just, I'm always fascinated by how, <laughs> like, just poofy people yeah. could get it. Yeah, and it was poofy, the, but it was feathered yeah. back. Like you'd part it right down the middle, and it had to be, you know, feathered back. And you would comb it back. You'd stand in front of the mirror, and you would guys would comb it with their handled comb. They'd stick it right in their back pocket and look cool as hell. I'm not kidding, man. Just... Yeah, house parties, man. You go to a house party, 1981, 82. Go to a house party in 1982. Uh, you know, on the northwest side of Chicago, count the number of 16-year-old mustaches and bad feathered hair and girls girls in tight Gloria Vanderbilt jeans. It's unbelievable. That was our style, Esmeralda. That's what we were. Yeah. That's what we were. And then New Wave took over in the mid-'80s, and, and, uh, and then Hairspray took over in the late-'80s. It's just the 80s were bad. They were just bad. <laughs> I will take the burnout... You know, like the burnout, unshowered, greasy hair, let's wear a Disco Sucks t-shirt and jeans over anything that happened Mm -hmm. in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. But yeah, and and then, you know, and and it's weird because everything does come around. Because I started to notice this. I started to notice this once, once, um... Um, I started to go out and like socialize a lot after, you know, working overnights. I didn't have a social life for a long time. And then Mm -hmm. the you know, the lockdown and then like me just staying away from people for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, when I started to go back out and notice people, I started to notice like young, like it was first day of school. People would post pictures of their daughters in first day of school, total midriff, low rise pants. And I'm like, what is going on? Is this, is it a thing now? Yeah. And it is like, it's a thing again. 
Like that thing yeah. that Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and all the other, you know, girls were doing with the with the with the jeans that went like below their hips. <laughs> yeah, whatever know? is whatever was nineties and yeah. yep. uh and some of the two thousands, I guess, although I couldn't tell you what that fashion was. Um <laughs> Because I'm just like, it just all kind of blended together. So I didn't really yeah. notice like yeah. Yeah. key fashion things. But yeah, a lot of 90s things have come back. If you go, even if you just like take a look at the Target uh, and you just go to the, the clothing section and just yeah. the, the stuff that you see is yeah, it's all very 90s. It's all come it, back. I mean, it yeah, is. It, it all you circles know, you're, back. Absolutely, man. I had some time to kill. There's a Target right near the Icon Theater on Roosevelt in the South Loop. Mm-hmm. And I had a little time to kill, and I just went in to the Target because they have books and magazines and stuff in there, and I was just going to look around maybe. And I went in, and I was up on the second floor walking around, and I was looking at the fashions, and I'm like, holy shit, man. This is like – this is a time warp. It, it really <laughs> – it really is. But, I mean, it, it's true. As we get older, you know, we notice that kind of shit. It's like I remember it used to be popular, and now it's popular again. And right. Um, all, and, yeah. if, and it's interesting to see, like, people who, who shop – who shop at like thrift stores Mm -hmm. because everything that is basically at a thrift store now is from the 90s yeah 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 yeah. it's from the 90s and the 2000s so you see people dressed like that yeah it's crazy and and, and, and like like we were saying earlier you know like um i just inadvertently became fashionable in the early 90s because i'm a slob you know what i mean and it became it became fashionable (laughs) to dress like that i'm like i haven't had a haircut in six years I wear t-shirts with jeans and flannels and boots, and now I'm a fucking hipster. What? How, how did this? How, how did this happen? And it wasn't by like my choice. It wasn't like I was, you know. So, I remember we were we were on a baseball trip. My buddies and I went on a baseball. Hey, listen, was one of them. We went on this baseball mm-hmm. trip. I think I told you about this, where we rented a van and we went to the East Coast and we we stopped at all the major league stadiums, saw a baseball game, and then went to the Hall of Fame. And it was a road trip. Mm-hmm. And I had re- this was the summer of 1992, and my hair was really long, and I was wearing flannels. In 1992, Esmeralda, as you know, was the fucking height of like grunge at that time. Yeah, it was the height. So I remember I was walking down the street. We were walking to we were, we were in Boston, and we were walking to Fenway Park, <laughs> and we were walking, and, and I got the flannel on and stuff. And my buddies are with me, and we're all we're walking down the street. And um, we start laughing. We made a joke or something. We started laughing. And as we were walking past the guy, one of the guys goes, hey, get a fucking haircut. <laughs> get a fucking haircut. You know, as a, a very, you know, welcoming Bostonian. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> oh, get a fucking haircut. It was, it was fantastic. Anyway. But you were spared all of that stuff, Esmeralda. So. I mean, I didn't really... I was just kind of boring because, again, whatever yeah. versions of fashion I'm finding, it's at the J.C. Penny. Gotcha. So- yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. And it's going to be like the sanitized kind yeah. of, cl- you know, version of whatever the fashion is at the time. Yeah. Now, when Clueless came out, did that? Did people start dressing like Cher? Was that a thing? Like the, those kind of skirts and those little the little jackets and stuff like that? Was that a you know when they make over when they make over um, Brittany uh, Murphy? Is that was that like? I mean, I, I remember seeing all the movie of that and, is. I mean, if if it's accurate, people right? dressed like that, that was people way cooler than the people in Joliet. 
Okay. You know what I mean? Like all of that is a very idealized. Right, right. Like yeah, yeah right. I'm sure there were people right. who were dressing like that, but they didn't right. live in my town. Well, because when that movie <laughs> came out, when that movie came out, I was 30. You know what I mean? So I was just like, well, okay, I guess our kids are dressing this way, and I've seen that movie seven million times. Yeah, and I know like, that we would all want it. to dress like that. Right, I got you. Okay, like that. I got you. Because they were all rich. That's right. <laughs> Everybody was rich in that movie. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, we've uh, we've wasted uh, so much time. We, we we had a great time actually talking about fashion and mullets. I'll tell you something. You learned something because I had no idea the mullet dated back to Homer. This is the greatest thing I've ever learned. And you yeah. know what I mean? I've been doing this podcast for a year and a half. The greatest thing I've ever learned is that now Homer is responsible for the mullet. That's all I know. Yeah, and that the Beastie Boys coined the term. Exactly. I didn't know that, I didn't know that either. Yes. Which is quite. It's fairly late in the game because it was 94 i know that, that's why uh, that's why i didn't even i thought because so. you know, i know the song i just thought okay well they i didn't know they coined that i didn't know they coined it i swear mm-hmm. to god that's great i okay. mean it had to have already been in in the world in the vernacular in some sort nobody, of vernacular. yeah yeah nobody had yeah placed it for consumption of everyone right and leave it to the beasties to do that god bless them god i love those guys all right, let's let's have some. What are we What are we going to eat here uh, to close out the uh, the program? We got some more Mexican. Now this is this is uh, tell everybody what this is because we've tasted this before, but we're going to taste it again. Yeah, so this is um, called mazapan, which right. is marzipan. <laughs> right, marzipan. Just, yes. That's that's what it means. That's how you say it in Spanish. Um, but it is a peanut candy. Um. The brand is, and this is a very iconic, like, this has been around since God knows when. Um, but it's a very iconic brand and iconic candy. Um, but the big thing is, like, when you open it, it just, like, crumbles. Falls apart, yeah. And whatever. But it's, like, and peanut, we, we actually, peanut-flavored marzipan, essentially. Uh, at, one of our, at one of our live events, at one of our Zany's events, we, we handed out marzipan to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And everybody, but we all consumed it. So we're going to do a little marzipan here. And it's really tasty. It's very, very tasty. But I, I do have to have some water here nearby me. Yeah, it's very crumbly. It's uh, very crumbly, even though, even mm. probably even more so because we haven't touched these in months. It's been for, so. Yeah, but you know what? I'm I mean, you just opened it and it's like cracking. So. It is, but, but as old as this is, it tastes great. Some of the candy that we've been that have been sitting around for a while has not aged well. This is fine. Mm-hmm. Really good. Really, really good. Yeah. So this is essentially just peanuts, sugar. It's so good. Mm. All right. It's very peanutty. It this is. is not for the. Yeah. If you're allergic. <laughs> no, no. This you will. Because this gets everywhere. No, you will die. <laughs> and the big. So I opened it and it just immediately like crumbled. So yeah, it almost. The big thing is like you try to you try to get it like whole, but mm-hmm. that's like that. It's it's a feat. It's a feat it if All you right. do get it out whole and eat it whole, because it's not going to happen. It's going to crumble. And it's much, it's much cooler if you eat it with a mullet, if you have a mullet. Of course. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to save sure the magic megaphone. many have eaten it with a mullet. This, this, this magic megaphone that I have, we'll save it for the next uh, for the next podcast. And on the next podcast, I'm very excited, Esmeralda, because my guest is going to be professional wrestler Al Snow. Oh. Um, who is a legend. And he is doing a comedy show at Zany's in Old Town at the end of May. Very nice. Uh, and uh, No, I'm sorry, end of April, at the end of April. 
Mm, okay. uh, Al Snow, the legend. This guy's a legend. He's got so many cool. great stories. So we're going to be talking with him on the next episode. Uh, and everybody have a lovely weekend. And uh, my thanks to uh, Esmeralda. My thanks to uh, Jason Skaggs for all the great music. My thanks to Ed. And take your time to rate and review us on every platform, radiomisfits.com. You want to be a sponsor, sales at radiomisfits.com. You want to leave a voicemail message, 773-417-6948. Drop us an email at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, thank you, Esmeralda. You rule. Thank and, you. Uh, we will talk to you uh, next time. Uh, and I will still be, uh, it, we will still be in the middle. It'll be towards the end of the Robert Zemeckis Festival. The music, <laughs> the music box mm, in my brain. Okay. My brains will still be, my brains will still be filled with Zemeckis. So, there you go. <laughs> All right, everybody, thanks have for- a lot of that Zemeckis in there. And I have a lot of Zemeckis juice is what, is what we got. Cool. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time on the Nick D Podcast, Radio Misfits. Uh, podcast Network.